0: Son, don't you get confused when the enemy attacks and don't you look at this thing and decide it's out of date or no longer relevant. Don't you listen to the hucksters that try to tell you that there are new and improved shields that aren't quite so bulky and they don't offend people so much. Son, I'm sending you into battle. You better get something that can protect you. You better hold on to a faith that is going to keep you and if everything else fails, it will keep you carry you home.
1: My name's Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. Well, hey, everybody, and thank you so much for listening. Again, all of you that subscribe and share, I'm so very grateful for all of your support, and I'm really excited about today. In fact, this interview was not supposed to happen yet, but... I was so excited about um, the content and the conversation that I had to push it out two weeks early. And so today I'm really excited to present to you our very first interview on the podcast, a very special restorationist edition on preaching with preacher extraordinaire and general secretary treasurer of the united pentecostal church international brother scott graham without any further ado let's jump right into the podcast and talk about pentecostal apostolic preaching so today i'm so honored to have brother scott graham as our very first guest on the restorationist podcast brother graham is a husband and father and through the years, he's served local churches in various capacities, culminating with about 15 years of pastoral leadership in St. Louis, Missouri. And he's also filled uh, numerous uh, positions within the United Pentecostal Church, including several general offices, um, three executive positions in youth ministries, and he's an international speaker and published author. And now uh, he serves as the General Secretary-Treasurer of the United Pentecostal Church International. Brother Graham, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Oh, I'm honored. Thank you. Uh, really a delight to get to do this. Thank you for the invitation.
1: And while I, I kind of gave your CV at the beginning, I'd say one of the things that has made you stand out in the United Pentecostal Church um, is not just the positions of leadership that you've occupied, it's it's your preaching. It's You're a fantastic preacher. In fact, before... Um, We started the interview, everyone's going to have a chance to hear um, a few seconds, about 30 or 40 seconds of the shield of faith message that you preached at General Conference a few years ago. That was incredibly impacting to me. I had just become a father and oh man, that message, it it was absolutely powerful. And so this is one of the things that in our movement you're known and honored for. And some of the messages I remember listening throughout the years is, would you like God with that? The shield of faith, as mentioned, sand in my shoes, stay out of the woods. And uh, this is why we have you here today to to talk about preaching. And um, I I guess if you could begin by just kind of giving us your journey to preaching the gospel, what's the backstory of of Brother Graham, so that, you know, we've seen you on stages and, and in conferences and camps throughout, um, uh, throughout the years in our movement, but, but how did your ministry in preaching get started?
0: Sure. Well, first, thank you for your very kind comments. Uh, my mom shares your opinion, but I've always considered her, her evaluation just a little <laughs> biased, but I, I am grateful for your kind comments. Uh, I grew up in church uh, grew up in the United Pentecostal Church this is all I've known uh, grew up in a little small town in southeastern Illinois um, graduated from high school my dad was a veteran of the Korean War and I won a scholarship based uh, from the the Illinois Veterans administration for the child of a Korean War vet um, I won a, an academic based scholarship uh, to the University of Illinois so when I graduated from high school I uh, I was very, I was conflicted when I, when I, in retrospect, I can look back and kind of, uh, with honest evaluation, realize I was probably running from the call of God somewhat. I, I went to, uh, U of I majored in computer engineering, uh, had a full ride. They were, they were covering everything, books, tuition, room and board, everything. And, uh, I got out of my friend and I was having a ball. I, I, I was thoroughly enjoying what I was doing, um, I got out of my freshman year or was just finishing my freshman year. And I had a guy knock on my door. He was from Hewlett Packard, um, in the dorms there. He knocked on my dorm room and asked, you know, if I was Scott and sat down with me, Uh, I had been recommended to him by uh, my physics professor, um, for a program that Hewlett Packard was conducting. Then it was an internship kind of deal. Uh, so he comes in and lays out all this paperwork in my, in my, uh, in my dorm room, um, finish finals, go home for about a month and then go to their, they would fly me to their headquarters in Texas They'd put me up for six weeks for a summer internship program, come back and do my sophomore year. They would do the same thing after that for seven weeks, do my junior year. They would do that for eight weeks, do my senior year. And then, uh, they would offer me a job guaranteed as long as I kept my grade point average up. They, they guaranteed me a job when I graduated four years from then or through, I guess, three years from then. Um, in their management track and guaranteed me a starting salary of $48,000, which would have been in 1987. And so, man, I left, I left my U of I that year after finals were done. I just had the world on a string. I All my schooling was paid for. I had summer employment for the next three years. I had a job waiting on me when I got out. And in that, in that four-week window or so before I was to head to their headquarters offices for a six-week internship, I went to youth camp. In Illinois, Brother Mangan preached, Anthony Mangan preached. And on Tuesday night, he preached a message called My Obligation to My Generation, and it just tore me to ribbons. And I, I crawled up to the altar and squalled and bawled and, and uh, just died to a lot of things and uh, left camp and called U of I and told him I wasn't coming back. Called the Veterans Administration, turned in my scholarship, called Hewlett Packard, told him I wouldn't be coming, and went to Gateway. And graduated uh, from Gateway, and I've laughed about it later. I, I got out of Gateway and got a job as a youth pastor and made thirteen thousand dollars my first year. And, <laughs> yeah, and uh, wanted wanted to send an invoice to Anthony Mangan for thirty five grand and tell him you, know, you you did this to me. Uh, but it, it was um, it was you know that night at that youth camp was when God just kind of brought everything in clarity for me about what my life purpose was, and and that's so that's how I you know landed in ministry and, and behind a pulpit and have been very blessed with so many incredible opportunities that I've been afforded because of that.
1: That's an incredible story. Uh, I think every every preacher, for the most part, they you have this, whether it was this definitive singular moment of the call or it was a process of, you know, God opening or closing doors over time, there always is this definitive moment where you got to say, okay, I'm all in. This is what yeah. I'm actually supposed to do with my life. And you have to make that decision to submit and, and follow the voice of God. And that's that's incredible. Well, I agree.
0: And, and you and you and you pretty much need to build an altar at that place that you can come back to. Yeah, because in the moment it's crystal clear, uh, there typically will come seasons, challenges uh, that that if you can't go back to an altar, you build and say, I know what I know. I know what God said to me can cause you to question and and second guess. Uh, but yes, I can, I can go back. I can probably, I could probably today drive to Wapella, Illinois, go on the old campground. I could probably get within three feet of where I laid on my face in that altar and and just really, really establish some things.
1: Wow. What uh, shifting gears just a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things I've grown up in the United Pentecostal church and, um, and, and love it love love working with my dad love being a part of of this of this movement and and one of the things that has always struck me growing up in the United Pentecostal Church growing up in the apostolic movement is the uniqueness of our preaching so shifting gears a little bit from your personal story to just kind of more the idea of preaching what do you think it is that makes apostolic preaching such a standout in the religious world that there's there's it's unique in and of itself what do you think that is
0: well of course you know the 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 simple kind of simplistic answer is well we've got this anointing and and yet i don't i don't know how to get away from that as at least part of this answer i think there's perhaps a twofold answer one is if we're truly apostolic we are we are definitively committed to the purity of the Word of God and what it says and and the truth of what it says. And uh, we are unwaveringly committed to everything it says. So there is, in, in uh, apostolic preaching and an undergirding a, a, a clear and strong foundation of the Word of God, um, we are not philosophers, we're not, uh, we're not chiefly poets, or, or even orators. We are, we are declarers of truth that finds its roots in God's word. So the first thing I would say is, as simplistic as it may be, is there has to be a really uh, deep-seated commitment to the word of God. But then beyond that, the letter killeth, spirit gives life, There is there must be a dynamic of anointing of spirit impetus behind what we preach that reaches beyond the intellect of the hearer uh, to touch to touch the spirit of man. Ted talks can touch the intellect of a man and can even touch his emotions, but to touch the spirit of a man, to touch the eternal part of a man, uh, deep calls to deep. There has to be that spiritual component. So I think, I think what is, is profound is to, um, is to hear on occasion as you can, if you get in just the right circles or, are able to have just the right conversation, um, prominent voices in the greater religious world who will look at the apostolic movement and, and say without, without any qualification, there is something there that is different. Um, I had the opportunity to have a conversation with a, a very prominent individual in the greater Christian world who, who said to me, I don't know what it is about you folks, but, He said, there are preachers all over the United Pentecostal Church that just blow my mind. And he pointed over his shoulder symbolically and said, it's not like that out there where I am. And he was simply stating that there is something about preaching, the dynamic of the Holy Ghost that that, that can't be replicated by those who, who try to depend on intellect or try to depend on just personality or oratorical skills will not replicate what what the spirit of god does in a man whose whose life is grounded in truth.
1: I I completely agree. I remember um I remember watching a uh friend of mine, um an acquaintance of mine, I should say that that had sadly um walked away from, you know, the apostolic faith and 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 the spirit and anointing that is behind it. Cuz you're so right. It is the it's that blend of you know the purity of the Word of God, doctrinal fidelity, searching the scriptures, digging them yeah. out, and then at the same time, the, the passion and anointing and power that comes from the Holy Spirit, and then all of that kind of just spilling out and and just pouring it under the ground um, uh, and in, in, out from the pulpit, and that is what to me is is so impactful. and I remember um, a friend or an acquaintance uh, of mine. Um, who had, and we all know stories, and we all have, you know, stories like this where uh, the allure and the appeal of of the larger idea of success or growth or numbers kind of drowned out the voice of, you know, whether it's an elder or uh, the yeah. call of the spirit. And I watched him in this event, and they gave him an opportunity to speak. And there was this moment where it hit him, that old thing that he used to have, yeah. it hit him, yeah. and it literally was like a shock wave that kind of went through the crowd because they weren't ready for that to get stirred back up, and I don't think he was. It he, it just the emotions kind of poured out, and and the passion poured out, and it was just really this unique thing to see. Is it almost was like God, and I, I remember I broke down in tears.
0: Because oh, he had
1: sounded like that for years and years and years, and and it's that unique blend of the anointing and power and passion and the word of God that gets kind of gets dug out. So, thank you for that. Um, now, if there was a way that you could define your approach and style to preaching, how would you define or explain? It? The reason why I'm I'm asking this question is um, one of the things that's so amazing is how stylistically if we're going to use that that term when it comes to preaching in the apostolic movement stylistically it's 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 all over the place there's so many oh, different yeah. it, and 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 we're not monolithic either culturally or uh, demographically or ethnically and when it comes to ministry and so um especially in preaching especially so we have this common denominator of doctrinal fidelity and and the anointing and the power of the spirit it all now flows through a human individual who's been called by God and they're unique. And so how would, and I know this is sometimes difficult, it's easier to have other people do it for you, but if you could define your approach or style to preaching, how would you kind of explain that?
0: Okay. Well, and your, your caveat there is, is well said. I was thinking as I was pondering that, that's easier to do about somebody else uh, than it is to do about yourself. But I would say largely, um, I want to be a communicator of truth. And so what I I guess what I would offer, and I'll get back around to the core of your question is God didn't call me to be anybody else. And he didn't ask me to change who I am. Now that's, that could be inferred the wrong way. He asked us, we're all, we're all to better ourselves and to change and improve. I don't mean that, but he didn't ask me to be somebody else to become someone else after he called me. Um, he called me and he he can use me. And that's true for everybody that listens to this. Uh, I have those, as a young man in ministry, I had those men that I looked at whose ministry I admired. There were aspects of what they did that challenged me to be better. But I didn't feel challenged to be them. So uh, I'll, I'm going circularly. Uh, for instance, Anthony Mangan, as when I was a young man, he challenged me by his passion. Mike Williams, I was challenged by his, his gift with words and his, his skill with, the, you know, just the English language and his ability to craft his phraseology. I, I, was, I was compelled by, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was challenged by Wayne Huntley and his, his ability to d- just dig out little nuggets of things that I'd read over in scripture a hundred times and missed. So there were aspects of what people did that challenged me to want to be better in those areas, but I never felt a compulsion to have to be somebody else or be even be like someone else because God called me. Um, I am a, I'm by nature a, a gregarious person. I'm a fun loving person. I enjoy laughter and people and, uh, and, and, you know, fun conversations. And so some of that bleeds through. I, I, you know, depending on the tone of the message, of course, I'm not suggesting if you're preaching one on hell that you're going to be Frivolous in that, but but I'm I'm prone to use a lot of illustrative uh, materials, stories, historical things, little unique, funny things that happen in culture, and draw out from that. Probably one of the more common things I've had said to me is, "Well, where do you find your illustrations? You've always got the greatest illustrations." Um, That's my communicative communicative nature. Um, I will. I want to have a truth. I want to communicate. I want to communicate that truth effectively, the communication to me is the art of what's heard, not the art of what's said. And so I want to be sure that what I'm trying to communicate can be crystallized down in a sentence and, and is understood by my hearers. So if I have to disarm them with a little humor, even if that's self-deprecating humor, if I can get them to get their guard down a little bit, I want to be able to infuse a truth that I'm communicating into them. And so I I seek very hard to be streamlined and, um, uh, and communicative. So I, I don't know what the stylistic label, uh, which, what would be accurate. Uh, I tend to be very passionate, uh, about what I preach. I, I, uh, I tend to, uh, I try to be extremely prepared, um, and and then seek to communicate. I don't know if that's really the kind no, of answer. It's, it's perfect. But I'm, I'm seeking to communicate. I and whatever mechanism uh, I need to use to do that, uh, be that you know. Uh, obviously, again, it, it all starts from the scriptures. But then, in, in furthering communi- in, in in the further effort to communicate that truth, if that's historical things, if that's humorous, if that's you know whatever, I'm a I'm a people lover and I enjoy being with people. So I, I, I tend to seek at least a very personal connection with the congregation, um, as best I can. And, 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 and that's typically done, uh, for me at least with illustrations, those kind of things that, that, that tear down walls a little bit.
1: No, that's it. That's an excellent, um, an excellent kind of, uh, interpretation, I think of and reflection of, of your approach um, I think that's if we were to ask people it would it would be the stories and the passion the humor thrown in to kind of um, you know whether it's to catch you off guard or get that wall down um, finding that personal connection um, that that those would be all things that uh, as, as someone that's listened to you uh, for a large portion of, of my life that I would use to describe you so I thought that was an excellent answer thank you um, one thing that you know, is, is, is unique to preaching is there's always, there's this element of pressure with it in that, um, it's, it's something that you've got, to, you've got to continually come up with fresh material. You've got to continually, uh, be seeking God, um, reading the Bible and, uh, looking for fresh ways to engage, uh, engage those, uh, that are about to hear the word. And, um, that, that, you know, kind of trying to, find that inspiration is is something for me that um I'm always I'm always trying to get to or I'm struggling to find and so uh you talked about your preparation and being extremely prepared um so that obviously you have this you have this approach to preparing a message but I want to before the message begins what inspires you how, how do you stay fresh how do you keep that you know that well of ideas um not you know ever running dry um uh, could you give us some insight on that
0: well some thoughts that come to (laughs) mind it has run dry on occasion (laughs) but uh but in general i will say um a few thoughts that come to me you you have to employ the joseph principle uh and that is when the seven fat cows come up out of the river um you, you 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 stockpile because seven skinny cows will be coming um so I have a, I have a um, a file, just a Word file that I've kept for years. That's just that I've just the file is called sermon starters, and and I I am constantly scribbling in that file, um, uh, and scribble is a is a uh, figurative language because I'm typing oh, yeah. in it. But I just anytime time okay, so I'm I'm talking in circles here. Not doing a very good job, very good job communicating, which is what I just said. <laughs> um, I. I I uh, I get a lot of my inspiration, a, a lot of inspirations uh, for just little sermon nuggets or thoughts or intriguing little something I'll see in Scripture while I'm listening to other people preach. Okay. Uh, not what they're preaching, to- usually totally, I mean, I say unrelated, but just they'll be preaching something, they'll quote some verse and I'll look at that verse and something totally different from that verse or the verse next to it will jump out at me. I don't know if I'm just more spiritually attuned when I'm listening to preaching. If, if, if there something opens to me in the spirit in that regard. I just find many, many times, not exclusively, but, but often, uh, just while somebody's preaching some, some thought will hit me and I'll, I'll scribble that down. Um, when I'm reading the scriptures, uh, you know, uh, some little thought and I'll, I'll, I'll jot that down. So this file, the sermon starters file is just full of, of little nuggets. Just, Hey, you know, and sometimes it's as simple as look at John chapter six, verse seven, what does the word so-and-so mean? And I'll put that in there or, um, consider the phrase, whatever, or what was, what was Paul thinking in verse so-and-so, or what was he thinking while he wrote verse so-and-so? Just any little thing like that, that strikes me. Now I'm going to tell you, there are dozens of things in that file that will never see the light of day. I'll come back and look at them later. And I'm like, I I don't even know why I wrote that down, (laughs) but, but, but I, but many of them do. And some of them will, will lay in that file for months, if not years, and then germinate. You know, I, I try, I try every week, every, every Monday morning, I I look through that file and I do that for one reason. I do that so that those things that are in there are kind of somewhere in my brain. So that if I am driving down the road and see a billboard and the message of that billboard connects to one of those thoughts, I'll, I'll go back in that file and jot that down. Hey, Saul Billboard said so-and-so, you know, or I'm reading something in, in Reader's Digest, and I run across something that, and I just had looked in that file Monday morning and noticed that thought that might tie to that, and I'll tear the article out and, you know, put it in there, scan it in or whatever. Um, but I just, I have that constant thing, and man, there are times I, I've got more ideas and more things, and there's other times I, I'm like, I've preached everything in that Bible six times. There is nothing left <laughs> So that's where I've tried to be intentional about jotting those ideas down, stockpiling when they're there, saving up against the, the, the years of famine. And, uh, and, and so I have that to draw on when that time comes um, that's, that's part of how I do it just mechanically. Um, now I would say, you know, what inspires me or what drives me to, to insist on staying fresh is the crushing reality that I am touching people's eternities. I have never, I've been doing this since I was 18, I'm 54. I have never gotten over the magnitude of that fact that I am engaged not in a a, a mechanical enterprise. I am engaged in a spiritual enterprise that impacts the souls of men eternally. I, I, the, the, the magnitude, the weight of that has never, left me and, and I just I am driven to feel like I have to do this well because of what I'm doing. I, I would I would be terrified to have a surgeon that was going to operate on me who, who 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 didn't take his craft seriously. I, I would I would hate to have a plumber come work at my house that didn't take his craft seriously. How much more um, those of us who preach the gospel uh, have to be. So as far as what inspires me to stay fresh, it is that fact. It, it's the incredible fact that it is possible that something that I preach in that pulpit that day could eternally shift somebody's destination. Uh, that that's overwhelming to me. So that drives me to stay fresh. Now, the, the mechanism of how I do it is, is a little more about what I described a little while ago, but, um, uh, but the the impetus behind it to me is just this incredible fact that somebody, you know, I, I may have a backslider on that pew, but that's the one Sunday they chose to come and they've got a grandmama or a mama that's been praying for them every day for thirty years. And that's the day they come. God trusted me to answer that lady's prayer on that day. How could I possibly approach my task that day with anything less than, than the best I can do. That, that, that's what drives
1: me. Yeah. And no, I, I, I hear you this, that, that pressure, that weight, that, that driving force. I remember, um, you know, my, my wife was witnessing to to somebody her work and I was getting ready to preach on a Sunday morning and she said, Hey, you know, so-and-so may, may be coming on Sunday and, I remember uh, this was a, a while ago. I just remember all of a sudden thinking about every word that yeah. I was writing down because this was this was not just the idea. Th- there, this was this was a, a person that that could actually be you know be there that is going to hear what I'm about to say, and it just the weight of that I would be assigning to the task that was now at hand, and I have learned that. Um, keeping that in front of you constantly um wow. it just creates this this sense of of urgency where it's you know uh I need to hear from god and and but at the same time i've 've got a whatever spark of something I get from god i 've got to work that ground I have to till it i 've got to make it happen so that it I can agree. connect with somebody's heart and and i like, it, no, ahead'm ahead, sorry no you go ahead sir.
0: Well, and and it's just, it's to me it's not just that that guest who um, it, it, certainly you know is the first time they're going to hear the gospel and you've got maybe you may have one shot you know for the Holy Ghost connecting them. Even I've tried to to consider beyond that you know for pastoring as I did for those those years and you're you're looking at the you know the many I would say many of the same faces week to week. One of the things that I tried to keep kind of focused in my mind is that. In, in, the, in the church, that was so gracious to call me pastor. There's a segment of people there. You know, and, and, and anybody that's listening to me that is connected to a congregation, when I say this, you'll you'll have certain faces come to your mind. There's a segment, of a portion, a, a slice of the people there. They're going to go to heaven. That, that issue is settled. They are faithful. They're godly. I mean, they're, they're going to go to heaven and probably, likely— unless I just go clear off the rail doctrinally, they're probably going to go to heaven no matter how bad a job I do. I mean, if I preach and doesn't makes sense, they're probably still going to, they're, they're sanctified, they've got their own walk with God, and if I don't just do something stupid, they're probably going to go to heaven. The flip side of that is this, there are, there's a slice, a segment, unfortunately, in, in most churches, there's one or two, or depending on the size of the church, a score of people. They're probably not. I mean, the simple fact is, they they have given no indication of spiritual appetite or desire for the things of God. They, they come, but they're, they're carnal and they're probably have set their sails toward hell no matter how good a job I do. But there's this group in the middle whose eternity does at least in one measure hinge on the job I do. And if I do it right, I can influence them. And, and I have a tendency, my personality, I have a tendency to get fixated on that group that is not going to respond and I preach my very best sermon and they still don't come to the altar. And I get discouraged about that. And, and I, I, I have a danger of getting so fixated on them that I miss that there's this whole group of people in the middle that, that their eternity is impacted by what I do. And so it is not, I say that only to offer, yeah, that guest that comes and and thank God for it, but you never know when that person's coming. But there's people there every Sunday whose eternity is affected by, by what we do. And, and boy, that, the weight of that just, that, that's, that's why I personally, I don't ever sleep well on Saturday nights. I just don't, I'm preaching all night long. Um, it, it's in my mind, my spiritual role. And I just, I, I'm consumed with it because again, of the magnitude of what's going to happen that yeah. next day, eternal souls are going to, are going to come and God is going to allow me the, 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 both the privilege and the responsibility to touch them with something eternal—that's that's wow, that's mind-boggling to me.
1: Yeah, and um, of course we know the Spirit leads and directs. But one of the things that um, I'm identifying so much with what you're saying um, right now is the responsibility upon us as as preachers, as those that are communicating the Word of God, to bring you know the very best that we possibly can and. Oh. Yes. And I I love that because, you know, uh, God sometimes will move and, you know, spontaneously and we'll get that, you know, that thought on the back of the proverbial napkin and that's all we'll have walking up to the pulpit and we'll just let the Lord handle the rest. Yeah. But by and large, most of the time, uh, that's not how it works. And if we're walking up just with the napkin ever continually, it's probably because we're not. You know, putting the shoulder to the wheel and and kind of just digging out that nugget that he's deposited by his spirit in our hearts and I love this idea of you know you've been preaching for for so many years, and uh, there is never a moment on that Saturday night where um you're thinking about the next day that there's not the butterflies in the stomach or that that knot in the gut, and that you know this is a big deal. God's asked me to do this, and I want to represent Him well. I, I, I think that's such a good thing for the people that are listening to this podcast to hear that that's an important part of the burden and the weight of preaching. Is that that the the responsibility? God's going to do the work, but the responsibility of communicating His word is is also on us, and He's channeling through yeah, us. Yeah, I can you know I I can cop out and say, well, God'll God'll do it.
0: Well, yeah, you know. I, I can cut down a tree with a sledgehammer, but if I take the time to sharpen that thing down to an axe, I can sure do it a lot more effectively. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, I can I can sit back and just and just say, well, you know, God God'll use me. I'll just you know, well yeah, but how much more effectively could he use me if I'm if I'm willing to, you know, repent of laziness and actually get in and dig and hone the craft and try to try to do the best I can. And I say that I wanna be I wanna be, you know, completely clear. Um, I realize that people are in all different stages, and you got got bivocational pastors who are working 50-hour weeks, and you got a family, and you, you don't have 20 hours to, to give to craft the wording of a sermon every week. I get that, and I'm not. that's not meant to condemn anybody. Uh, I, I, I just feel like to every measure we can, yes, we should give God the very best we have, and then ask Him to anoint our best. I'm not sure it's really fair of me to ask God to anoint something less than my best.
1: Yeah, no, I I I grew up in that church planter environment. One of the yeah. things I, I admired about my dad <clears throat> was, um, uh, you know, going through his old notebooks as a little kid. You know, he's working, he's running a pest control business. He's been crawling under jails inside of barns, you know, uh, you know, dodging animals, um, uh, you know, trying to help people get rid of their their killer bees or whatever it is that's pestering their house you know, for 50 hours a week, and yeah. uh, coming home, and he's, he's because it's a church plant, and it's just him, and right. back before the days of, of, you know, larger teams, it was just our family, and he would go in, he'd close the door, and he would grind it out until he had that Bible study or that sermon together, yeah. and he gave, now he is now in full-time ministry in a, in a different church, he's got this broader length of time, but the idea is the time that he had, he gave it his absolute dead level best, and the Lord honored that effort. And so, thank you for saying that. I really, really appreciate that uh, about the the importance of diligence. So, shifting gears to a more kind of technical approach, uh, your technical approach to, to to the message. So, once you've got the, you've got this running document of of ideas, and and let's say you know the spirit of God prompts you this this is what I want you to preach on and so you pull one of those ideas out of that document that you've got from prayer or or from reading the word or whatever and you're yeah. getting ready to to write that message so what how does that message all come together what's what's your process of writing the sermon
0: sure um well i will start typically and and, and i would say this is in excess of ninety percent of the time, so there would be exceptions to this, but in general, here here we go. I will start with a thesis statement. What is the one thing, what is the one core essence of this message in one sentence? When I was in eighth grade, which was a long time ago, uh, we had we had a speech class, and the teacher in that speech class really really drilled this that if you can't summarize your speech, in this case, your sermon, in one sentence, then you can't expect your, your hearers uh, to be able to draw on it effectively. So I typically will start with, here's my thesis statement. This is what I want to communicate. I've had a secret dream. I've never done it. It would probably scare me, but I have always wanted to, uh, at the close of a sermon, close of a service, hand everybody a little piece of paper and say, write down what I preached in one sentence and gather those up, and read them, and see how effective I was. Now, admittedly, the Word of God is alive, and a sermon can and should, by the direction of the Spirit of God, say something that is specific to an individual for where they're living, right? Then I get that. But in general, I will start with that thesis statement. What's the core? What's the central message? What's the one thing that I really want to communicate uh, in this message? Um, Then I... I typically will put my message together in in three times. <laughs> so I'll, I'll I, the first thing I try to do is lay out the skeleton. Just what is the what are the bare bones essentials of this message? I'm going to start with this passage. I'm going to um, I'm going to uh, you know tell the biblical. I'm going to relate the biblical narrative that is the is the setting for this verse. I'm going to. Uh, uh, then expound on this truth by going to this verse, this verse, this verse. Uh, I'm going to tell the the story of the, the Battle of Yorktown and in the, in the U.S. Revolution. I'm going to then do, uh, I'm going to go to this passage as another scriptural support for this truth. I'm going to tell the story of, of you know, some Olympic runner. I'm just talking out loud here. Yeah. But I'll just, I'll lay out in very just, I mean, it's, it's a skeleton. There's no meat on it. It's just the structure and uh, and then and in that in that um, in that time or in that pass through is where I'll, I'll I when I get done I'll read it or, or just look it over. Do I like the flow? Does that seem the best way to communicate this truth? Would I be better to take that story of the Olympic runner and start with that? Would I would I be better to take the this uh, incident in the life of Elijah that I was going to tell down toward the the end of the message, would that be better up in the middle? I'll move whole chunks of it around. I'll rearrange the skeleton. When I find, when I get done with that and I feel like I like the structure, that's the best way to communicate truth in terms of an overall flow of the information. Then I go back in and and this may not be the perfect uh, analogy, but I've got the skeleton. I I go back then and go through it and I stick in all the organs and the muscles and the tissue. Uh, I, I I flesh it out. I write it out. I I'm not a I I know this question is, is was going to be covered as well. I'm not a manuscript preacher per se. I don't write it out in paragraph form. It's structured like an outline, but I violate every law of outlining because outlines should just be, you know, simple little three or four word things. Well my outline is basically sentences. So I'm in this weird mix between a manuscript and an outline. Really what I have is largely a manuscript, but it's structured like an outline just so my eye can visually follow it easier. I can jump back to where I was a little easier than if it was just, you know, in, in paragraph form, but I have a lot of sentences written out fully, many of them. Uh, and so I will, I'll go through then and and I'm sticking all the muscles and I, I I write it out. I flesh out. Here's how I'm going to say, and I, I, instead of just saying, you know, in my skeletal outline, it's just, story of Elijah and the Ravens but when I go back through and put all the meat on it I, I tell the story I write out how I want to say it so I I've got this when I get done with that one and so it goes from you know half a page to 10 pages on that one because I write it all out and then um the third pass through uh is what I would re- kind of refer to as I put the skin on it Uh, I dress it up. I, that's when I go through and I edit wording. And is there a better word than this? Is there a, is there a better turn of phrase? Is there, is there a way to use some alliteration in this, in this phrase to make it memorable? Is there a, is there a better way to say this? And I'm editing individual words and sentence structure and it's just the skin. It's how it looks. It's not the meat of the message. It's just, it's just the skin that makes it attractive. And so that's where I'm trying to hone the craft of how to say this to make it memorable, to make it pierce into the mind of people. What's the, what's the, what's the best way to say it. So typically three passes through one to build the skeleton, one to put all the meat on it, and then one to, to dress it up and, and make it, make it more palatable as it were.
1: That's, that's, um, that's awesome. One of the, one of the things that I know I have struggled with when it comes to, to preaching, um, is the close, And so, yeah. um, and that's simply because, you know, Pentecostal preaching really is so unique in that, you know, we're not, we're not, and when we're done, we're not going to have everybody stand up and then we're going to take the offering or we're going to go home okay. or, or hand it up, you know. Not not to be cavalier, but hand a hunk of bread and a little sippy cup, and we're going to you know take a take the Lord's Supper and then dismiss in prayer and hand in the bulletins. We want people to come to the front and Bye. call on God, and so there's the close and and Pentecostal preaching is so unique um what when you're putting together that outline uh, and you're thinking about that close, what are some of the things um that you would you would kind of give as as advice to what makes a a good close. What what when you're closing out that thought, what is something that in your mind that that people need to do when they're preaching and communicating truth?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, two things come to mind. Plan for it. Uh, I I think it's totally unfair and almost foolish to spend hours potentially preparing a message and have no clue of what you're going to say once you finish telling that last story or you you relate that last scriptural truth and 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 you don't have any clue after that what you're going to do so a is plan for i like the phrase you use jerry jones actually taught me this um you you you, you didn't say conclusion you said closing and i i love that i've always used that phrase a conclusion sounds like it's over closing sounds like what a, a, a a salesman does he closes the deal Um, he, I've always used that phrase because that's what we're doing. We're trying to close something. We're trying to get the hearer to make a commitment to something, uh, you know, a car salesman tries to close the deal by getting you to sign the paperwork to say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy that car. Well, I'm trying to get you to close the deal. I'm trying to get you to make a commitment to some specific course of action. Now, this is where I think we have to be cognizant of the fact that, 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 again, the Scripture is alive, and it's going to touch people at different ways and different places and different points in their lives. And, and I would say that among—so I'm, I'm going to kind of unsay what I said a minute ago. I do think you have to plan. I think you have to—that to, needs to be in your notes, too. This is what I'm going to say to try to bring this to a close. But in my mind, more than at any other moment in that message— this is where you have to be spirit led. Um, w- what is God doing in that moment? What, who is God touching? This is where I I pray profoundly that there will be a, a prophetic unction in in me. Old dear brother N A Urshan, our former general superintendent, taught me something one time. He said, "Son, I pray two prayers every time before I preach. God put your word in my heart and put your word in my mouth." Put your word in my heart, that's what I'm when I'm preparing ahead of time. You're 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 storing up something there in reserve that I'm gonna draw on when I preach. But I need moments where it's not in my heart, God just puts it in my mouth. It just comes out. I need a prophetic unction that drives something out of my mouth that I didn't even know was in my heart. God just put it in my mouth. Yeah. To me, that's that's what's really needed at the close of that thing, to to have a prophetic, a word of God in your mouth at that moment that connects us to somebody where they are. The word of God has brought them to a point of decision. You have to call them to that point of decision. Now, I do think it's important from a practical standpoint to give to give clear, at least make a clear request, if not give clear, instru- clear instructions. You know, please, you know, step up here to the front. I want you to come and stand, or I want you to come and kneel, or I, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, giving instruction. In fact, I think sometimes we let people flounder because we just assume they're going to respond and they're they're waiting to find out if it's okay to. So I do think clear instruction uh, is appropriate. I think it's very sound to have given the music team some, some kind of clue about about what you want at the, at the close. I've seen guys get really frustrated when the song wasn't right. Then you find out later they hadn't told the people anything about what they were going to preach. Uh, so I think that's a little unfair. I think it's important to communicate to the music team. This is where I'm going to be in. I think at least this is where I'm going to be in up. This is the climate. This is the feel. Uh, so a song along the lines of give them a suggestion. Um, I, I think that's important too, that they kind of know what's going to happen at the end. Uh, but give, give instruction, give direction. Tell people what you're wanting them to do. Uh, to use that analogy, that car salesman is going to say, Tell you what, I want to sit down with you. I want you to give this and we'll give you this car. Well, give give clear closing instructions. Give clear closing appeal and ask people to make a particular commitment to God.
1: Circling back up to the preparation component, um, when when we're trying to flesh out that message and, and trying to put, you know, the muscle and the sinew on it, um, so to speak, on that outline, we're constantly, at least I am, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking for things to, to look to, to study, to dig out. What sort of resources do you use yeah. when you're, when you're studying?
0: Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Logos Bible software guy. Everybody's got their favorite. Uh, I've used it for years. I, I, I enjoy digging around in there for things biblical, you know, for word meaning for, you know, that kind of stuff. And, 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 Uh, related passages and and all that kind of things within the theological uh, library. I I use it a lot. But in in the broader cultural thing, uh, I was given good advice, I think, when I was a young man to read widely. Uh, I enjoy biographies. Reader's Digest, to me, is an incredible resource. I get it every month. You can read it in just like next to no time. It's a lot shorter than it used to be when I was a kid. Uh, but it's, it's just got such a broad spectrum of stuff, human interest stories, little humorous anecdotes, uh, just, just, it, it's a wealth of material to me. A Reader's Digest is, is a great resource for illustrations and little stories and so forth. Uh, so when I read that, I'm tearing articles out, I'm scanning articles in, I'm typing up little things and, uh, that's a great resource, uh, even just newspapers, and, and of course now it's so much is online, but as you're reading things, man, cut and paste, copy and paste a lot. Even if you don't have a specific use for it right then, you know, I, I may read something and it doesn't really even, in my mind, connect to anything in that in that sermon starters file. But it's just what a, what a unique story. I'll copy and paste that, save it in a file full of illustrations, you know, and never know when you might use it. Uh, so I think you have to read broadly, widely. I guess I should say, in a wide spectrum of genres. Uh, you know, whether or not you read fiction is, I, I, you don't, you're not going to get a lot of really good resources out of fictional stuff, in my mind. But historical things, political things, sports, you know, analogies, things about famous athletes. Uh, just you got to read a broad spectrum of stuff, in my mind. Uh, for for extra biblical resources within the theological realm. I I dig around a lot in logos software.
1: Awesome. That that was, that's very, very helpful. And I really appreciate your time. And I know um, just my interactions with, with you and, and really for, for many preachers, um it talking about yourself is it, we we spend times wanting to talk about the lord wanting to talk about the kingdom yeah. but talking about yourself can at and, and can at times uh, feel uncomfortable but well, uh, i i really appreciate you giving us a behind the scenes look because uh, i know i know there's a lot of young ministers out there that they're wanting to grow and they're wanting to improve but sometimes we just don't know how we don't know where to start and and getting insight into what works for for you, um, I think is going to be enormously enormously helpful. And speaking oh, of speaking of the younger generation, those that are you know going to be listening, most of the audience are millennials and Gen Zers, so they're between the ages of yeah. sixteen to to thirty six years old. Um, and and so I wanted to get your thoughts. Um, on 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 them and specifically on you know the the millennial and and gen z um generation young generation of preachers now most gen zers they're they're just getting you know maybe just getting into preaching or pulpit ministry and millennials are all the way you know up to 35 or 36 and and um you are um I believe your generation x if uh, you you gave us your age earlier but I believe your generation well, x. Actually-
0: I am the last so oh. uh, for most things you, you read, sociologists. I am the last, literally the last month of the baby boomers. Oh wow! Uh, okay, most, cool. Most sociologists will say that the baby boomers went through '64, and uh, I was born in December of '64, so I am I am just barely by yeah. the last uh, most. You know, there's no clear lines on all that stuff. Yeah, but
1: yeah.
0: Most most sociologists will will have the boomer. Generation up through sixty four. I was the last month of that. My my kids learned of that, and they were delighted to tell me I'm the last of the old people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay. So you you are you are the last uh, you're the last of the the baby boomer generation. And you know when you live within when you live within you um, know the bubble of of your generation, sometimes it's hard to kind of get that kind of perspective. Um, of where you're at and, and, and who you are, especially for, you know, millennials and Gen Zers, this is a question that, that plagues so many. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on the new or younger generation of preachers that are in their late teens, twenties, and, you know, early thirties. What, what do you admire most about this kind of new generation of leaders that's coming up?
0: Well, I, I, I marvel at, at many of the skills that they have, uh, at, at hand, um, the connectivity that they have with one another. I mean, you know, when I'm growing up young in ministry, you know, to stay connected to a minister friend, uh, or, or a peer, uh, required either a, a long distance phone call, which cost us money for every minute that you, you did on a, line that was tied to a, you know, a actual wire that went into the wall, uh, or you wrote letters, which is, you know, I, I know I'm I, right now there's the, the, the listeners are thinking, boy, he really is old. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 we used to take a letter in the mail. I mean, it, it, we lacked the ability to stay so readily connected to one another. I think that's a very positive thing, you know, provided the connections are, are, are the right ones. Uh, so I, I, I envy that i envy the the incredible amount of information and resources that is at your fingertips uh in this context of preaching when i think of what we had to do to dig out um resources or illustrations or I mean, you had to have you had to have 50 you know 50 books on your bookshelf and studying involved laying out books all over your desktop and 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 digging and turning pages, and you, there was no search feature other than the one that existed in your fingertips. And so the the resources are are, are amazing, and and the just the the skill set, the knowledge, the tech abilities um, are, are are just uh, profound. It, the education. I mean, I, I I it wasn't so much my generation. By the time I came along and got to college age, going to college wasn't really. Frowned on. I mean, if I go back and just a uh, some, you know, twenty years or so back before me, well, man, you didn't go to college. Uh, the Lord was coming, and and you know, the education was almost almost frowned on a generation before mine. And to now, you know, just the 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 wealth of information and education, uh, it just it blows my mind. Uh, the skill set and and the things that are just readily at the fingertips of, the, of this generation. And if they can, if, if they can utilize those with a spirit impetus and not in place of a spirit impetus, uh, my goodness, the, 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 the this, this sky's the limit. The, the potential is, is boundless. You know, uh, if, if, if they don't fall prey to thinking that all those, those, Tools are somehow a substitute for prayer life, or you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. But uh, I, I marvel at their passion, at, at their you know the, the collective. Uh, well, I mean, you, you kind of see it at youth congress: this massive swell of energy, and 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 this generation is is excited about doing something for God, and that's just it's 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 thrilling to see, and it really
1: is. What What do you think that we need to work on the millennials and Gen Zers? If you were to and um if you were to kind of give a a critique of of you know my generation of of preachers I'm 34 but you know those that are you know my age and and younger and um you know you've already qualified it with the compliment if there were if there were generationally and some red flags yeah. that, that you would see that you would as someone who is outside our generation would be like, Hey, yeah. if you address that, this will help. This will make you more powerful, more impacting. What would those things be?
0: Two things that strike me. Um, don't lose a connection to our heritage. Um, realize it is, it is a, it is an absolute fact that my generation has to be willing to, to put a baton in your hands and let go of it and trust you to run with it. That's my generation's responsibility. There's also a responsibility in your generation when that thing lands in your hand to realize what an incredibly high price is attached to it. Um, I, I'm i the generation in between, but my grandfather could tell you the stories about being run out of town with rotten eggs for preaching the gospel. Um, the James Kilgores can tell you stories about cheap sleeping in chicken coops uh, while evangelized. Um, it, it is, it is this connection to where we came from that I, 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 I pray, uh, that this younger generation will not lose because I, I'm afraid that if, if they do somewhat, then it, it cheapens and lessens the value of, of what you are now enjoying. Uh, and then connected to that, I guess, not unrelated is this idea of, of, of sacrifice. I, it bothers me when I will hear of a pastor who says, uh, "I contacted every one of our Bible schools and told them I need a youth pastor. I can't pay him full time. I can I can give him a little help with his with his rent. He's going to have to work a job." And they don't get one response, not one. I I'm troubled when I when I hear the stories of of missionaries. Um, I guess this is on my mind right now because. As a part of our church here in St. Louis, when I was pastoring, brother and sister Daniel Scott attended our, our our church. He was a veteran missionary to Ecuador. Had to come home because his health failed. They went to Ecuador with nothing. There were no PIMs back in that day. There was no promise of any support. He had three kids. He loaded up and got off a boat. He didn't speak. He didn't speak Spanish. He just went because God called him. He had a vision. Praying in his living room, God showed him a street he didn't even know where it was. God told him it's Ecuador. He loads his family up on a boat and goes to Ecuador. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really compelled. I haven't sacrificed like those people did, not at all. And, and certainly I don't, I don't think in large part your generation has either. We're socially accepted now. There's not a huge stigma on us as tongue talkers like there used to be. Uh, politically we're out of the mainstream with our positions on moral things. I know that, but but I'm just saying within the religious world, yeah, we're still outliers by being oneness, but tongue talking, we're not, nobody's throwing rotten eggs at us to run us out of towns anymore. Um, And, and I just, you know, my grandfather told me a story about preaching outside a bar and a guy coming out putting a shotgun against his chest and threatening to kill him. I've never had that. Uh, I, and, and I'm, I'm afraid perhaps that, concept of sacrifice to this generation means, um, I put an extra $20 in the missions offering and didn't shop at gap. Um, and, and I think it meant something very deeply, profoundly more, uh, to, to those who preceded me. And, um, that, that might be why, you know, the, 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 the CM and the, and the James Kilgores and the, and the, and the Jesse Williams and, and those kind of iconic names that I remember—I um, I don't know where those guys are right now. When I, I mean, there's great men. Please understand me, but I just—that's uh, that, what—that's what comes to mind—is—is is this willingness to really sacrifice and, and and sacrifice probably means something more than I I couldn't afford my latte this morning. Yeah,
1: um,
0: it, it's 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 really about laying my life down, man. And, and, and if God, if God sends me to wherever, if I, you know, again, I just, I hearken back to that thing of guys out there that say they're contacting every Bible school that we've got and saying, I've got an open position for a youth pastor. And they don't get one call back because it's not full time. Wow. And those like, Oh God, help us. You know, where are the, where are the church planners? Where are the, where are the guys that are going to carry this thing, you know, and continue to grow it. And, and we're growing. I I don't want to be Gloom and doom. I, but that that would be my challenge. Yeah, um, em, embrace this idea of I'm a servant. I Man, I, God's going to make it all right one day. I, I may never prosper here, but God's going to make it all right one day. I, I, I'm 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 not living for here. That that that's what that's what kind of comes to
1: me. I completely agree. And uh, one of the things that you know always fascinates me is when you take a look at the trends of when wealth is lost. Um, in in families that, you know, there was you know somebody that struck it rich after a tremendous amount of hard work. And then there was this growth phase. And then there's in, in many places, there's or many there, there's this narrative of, of a generation so disconnected from the what it took to, you know, kind of get the family business to where it was, that yeah, there is yeah. a, a disregard for it. And then it's lost. And so that's something that's in my head. But also, I I like to read, you know, history and I like to look at culture and study culture. And you know, right now you're we are we are accepted by the broader Christian world and um but uh I I feel that where we're headed as a culture and society, that Christianity, apostolic Christianity, will in a generation or two become So anathema to the broader secular pagan culture that if we don't have that, you know, I'll do whatever it takes, the will of God at any cost uh, mentality, um, that you know we won't know how to handle um, how to handle it because we have received so much. There's a, um, I think it was a comedian being interviewed somewhere. He, He said, you know, we have everything. Now he's speaking about culture, not obviously about church. but He's like, we have everything and nobody's happy. And at some point, he said I think it would be good if we all were just wandering around the hills with, you know, a single pack mule and some tin some tin pans just banging together to kind of realize and help us capture, you know, what it is and appreciate what we do actually, what we do actually have. And kind of when you take a look at like the winds of culture and change that are blowing. Now I'm more, I guess I'm extremely cognizant of it. I'm in a large city in Ontario, in Canada, and just, you know, I, I follow a lot of our local politicians on on Twitter, and the things that they say that yeah. um, they're wanting to push towards and, and wanting to silence when it comes to people of faith, it's, I have had, Brother Graham, those, those, those thoughts where I was like, oh my goodness, I got to shake myself because there may be a moment. Where this is this is gonna this is gonna cost me tremendously. Yeah. Am I willing to go to jail to proclaim truth? Exactly. I'm I'm thinking it, those it, thoughts. It, like, well, it, you know, the thought of, thought, thought of my it. son. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: absolutely. You know that that was what happened in Cuba. That's what happened in Russia. That's what happened in North Korea. And as much as we want to tell ourselves, "Oh, that'll never happen," I could never see our culture where it is now twenty years ago. And That's it does give me pause. Where are we going to be in twenty years? I, I think another. You know, cultural trends, we're we're, we're extremely naive if we don't think that cultural trends bleed over into the church. This this whole movement and push towards socialism, I don't want to work for anything. I just want to enjoy the benefits of somebody else's work. Well, that's a dangerous thing in the church. I don't want to go dig out of work. I just want to enjoy the benefits of what somebody else did. Why should I work? Why should I sacrifice? Uh, There are other people that have more. Just give me some of what they've got. Well, that doesn't work when it comes to anointing. That doesn't work when it comes to, to a touch from God and empowerment from God. Uh, those are very individual individual things. There's no collective anointing. There's no socialism when it comes to anointing.
1: Yeah, you've got to dig it out yourself, yeah. and you've got to come to that point in your mind where you're willing to do you know, whatever it takes. You've settled no matter yeah. what happens. I, I yeah. really appreciate I really, really, really appreciate that um, so very much. And and we're out of time. I, I appreciate uh, your time today. And I'm so very honored you, you took the Thanks. out of your busy schedule. Could you give us just one parting challenge to anyone who listens to me, but anything you would like one, one set of thoughts to the, the generation of young leaders that'll be listening to this podcast. What would you like to say to them?
0: Peter, was getting ready to go out with the disciples and Jesus at the 72 by two and he gives them instructions. He tells them, leave stuff behind. Don't take script. Don't take purse. Don't take, you know, just leave all that stuff behind. I'll take care of you. And, uh, don't, you know, don't take a sword. Don't take, just leave that stuff. And, um, and, and so, you know, they did of course. And then we find Peter on that night when the Lord was about to be uh, betrayed and and just in advance of that, he gives Peter an inkling of what's going to happen. And, Peter's, I'll die before they get to you. And of course, the Lord rebukes him. I don't know where in that process Simon Peter went back and got his sword back out. But um, when he, we know when he went to the garden that night, he had he had a sword. Uh, just allow me a little latitude, but that that sword had been sitting idle for a while, been in a closet, rusty, dirty, dull, and um, so you know Simon takes his takes his sword takes it down the basement, with the grinder, sharpens it up, takes some triple off steel wool, some polishing oil, shines it. He, he walks into the garden that night, man, with a, with a really sharp, really polished sword. And, um, all of a sudden Malchus rises up in front of him. The trail is on and our servant of the high priest is standing in front of him and Peter rips that sword out, takes a swing at it and, um, I've heard people say he tried to cut off his head. I don't really believe that. You don't cut off an ear swinging horizontally, cut off an ear swinging vertically. So if you let me just a little latitude, and this is is application, not interpretation of scripture, but Peter takes that sword and tries to pass it vertically, tries to pass it from the guy's mind all the way down to his heart. But because he had been sleeping instead of praying, it got no farther than his ear. And that's a concern i have in terms of preaching you can be sharp you can be polished we talked today about doing your very best but you can be sharp and polished and only touch an ear to touch a heart you've got to be a man of prayer um you've got to put spiritual impetus behind what you're doing while i think there's a lot to be learned and i and i recommend a couple of books uh, the best book I've read on preaching, it comes from one of our race, Jerry Jones. Of course, he knows a little bit about it. He wrote a book called We Preach, came out a couple of years ago, recommended it to everybody. Johnson McClintock put together a book by differing authors called Life Preaching. I recommend it. But you can read the books, you can get the skills, you can hone your craft, and I think y'all do. We talked about that. Y'all do the best you can. But ultimately, man, if I'm, if I'm sleeping, I may touch an ear but I want to touch hearts and and I don't care how polished I am at that point. I don't care how, how sharp I am at that point. I've got to be empowered. So, so I would just encourage you. I have seen young men whose gifts took them to places that their character couldn't sustain them. Um, be real, be spiritual, be men of God, um, and, and, and preach, preach the gospel. It's powerful. Um, and I I will just say when I I typically say to a lot of young preachers because I mean this and I I, when I write notes to people I I close it this way a lot but uh, I believe in you you're doing the work of God and I believe in you God's got plans so uh, if 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 any of this offered anything to you I'm I'm gratified by that I'm 54 and I've got I've got probably fewer sermons ahead of me than I have behind me and that means that you guys have got to pick this up and carry it and I know you're going to. I'm I'm proud of you.
1: Thank you, Brother Graham, for your time. And I know everyone who's listening is going to be going back to this podcast again and again and again, because there's been so much just impacting um, advice and direction that's been given. Even just the process alone that he goes through to prepare a message and the diligence to his craft, I found that so inspiring. If there is someone you know that communicates the Word of God, they could be a preacher, a pastor, a youth pastor, uh, they could be at work in a youth ministry, or they may not be involved in ministry just yet, but they feel a call and they feel... That they would like to aspire to pulpit in preaching ministry. Do them a favor and put this episode in their hands. I know it's going to be of tremendous impact and benefit to them. I just wanted to give you a heads up that I will not be posting an episode two weeks from now. And that's because my wife and I are going to be leading an AYC trip to Zimbabwe and Botswana. But I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks from that trip, and we are going to be getting right back at it with some fresh content, some brand new interviews, and so I thank you for the support. If you've missed an episode or two and uh, you want to listen to The Restorationist, but there's no new episodes, why don't you go back and listen to one that you've missed or Go back and listen to one that maybe made an impact on your life. Um, And if all else fails, uh, you can check out one of the other great, amazing Atmoside podcasts that are out there. For example, my friend LJ Harry has put in a devotional podcast. It's weekly, and it's called Simplify. And you can find it same place you listen to this. So Spotify, iTunes, and it's just fantastic. And LJ is an incredible communicator. And he's going to be um, a guest here on this podcast about preaching quite soon. All in all, thank you so much for listening. God bless you, and you all have a great week.